performance more merit than they deserve. To test its weight, total annual. There's no time for it in any case. He stomps off, gets in his truck, backs it into the bike, and topples it over. He peels out of the parking lot like he'd done one hell of a mic drop. You run to your baby and lift it up. There doesn't appear... Mia, that will not stand. I will... To be anything wrong, but you are beyond livid. Did that... Follow him. Make sure everything works. It just happened? You collect your helmet and jacket. Who even knows where the dude... Put the key in the ignition. He starts up. Engine rumbles. Is going. Nothing in town happens that... You leave it on while you light a smoke. She doesn't know about. Sure enough. To harm yourself through the anger. He pulls into the Lizard Lounge parking lot. You feel Cougar return. Follow me. As you ride up to the residence of your tormentors, you wonder, what the hell is he doing here? Does he know these idiot women? Was he part of these idiotic schemes? Does he live here? Did he tell them about you and how you think too much of yourself and need a bit of a come down? What the hell is his connection? You, stop your spinning. What the hell is his problem? Doesn't matter what he is doing here or who he is. You have a hunting knife. Wait, how do you know that? I mean, I do. The saddlebags. Pop that fucker's tires. Do you really think I should? I kind of want to. I will make sure no one follows you. What an asshole. Fuck this guy. Stab his tires. Chingado. Cougar watches the road. Reprise. Cougar sends a berth towards Interstate 40, where runaway lady rolls down away like water, sparkles, laughs, rubber hits the road. This desert's crown is a dusty noose. Tucum Carey wanted runaway lady quiet, bent, and sold. Cougar says, remember me on those yellow lines, runaway lady. Lilith rises and sets every night. Pray, remind yourself to be free. Conjure your dusty purple shadow. Use the knowledge I bestow. This desert crown is a dusty noose. No one's head should carry. <laughs> That was it. That was our performance. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's two o'clock. That was just um, Choose Poetry, Choose Life. And I'm really sorry about my phone dying in the middle of uh, the scratch thing that was happening, but we're, we're back. Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, is going to give me a call in a second here. Excited about that. Got a show tonight at Asiento. Please come out for that. 7.30, you can get your reservations on Eventbrite. 
but it'd be great to see you out at Asiento 7.30 every Wednesday for dinner and a show at Asiento. Yay! Really good tapas and hilarious comics. Every week for a long time, been bringing it to you. And uh, things are opening up again. Tomorrow night, Bar at Dolores show, 7 o'clock. Really great lineup there. Andrew Holmgren, all kinds of people. Come on out and see some comedy. Yeah. All right. Well, I am waiting for a call from the Sheriff of Truth. Also on Saturday, Atlas Cafe, Titans of Comedy, real fun comedy show, right? All outdoors, all fun, all good stuff, socially distanced. If we're all still worried about that, I don't even know what's going on, friends. But I do know that I got a lot of comedy going on and I'm trying my best. So if you're a Mutiny Radio supporter, thank you. And come out to a show because it's fun and I just, you know, every when the, the more audience, the better, honestly. <laughs> That's how it works. Fridays, we're here at the station. We only have 14 people inside with masks, and you get to be judges, and all the comedians bring their A game, and they win a show, a paid booked show on one of the Mutiny Radio Presents shows. Also, I decided this week that bringing back the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2021. Dates will be pushed back a little differently October 10th through 16th this year, 2021. Going to be working out submission forms and all that stuff, but the decision has been made. It'll be at, right now, four venues, but probably a fifth, maybe a sixth. Working on it. You know, every day, every day I try as hard as I can, I promise you. With all of my heart, I just want this place to survive and have really big audiences for comedians. And, you know, and selfishly, I like big audiences for myself as well. Because <laughs> I really like to perform. And, you know, an audience without, I mean, a, a comic without an audience, does a tree fall in the woods? Are there more than one ways to skin a cat? Why are we skinning cats? Why are we doing that? I don't understand. don't know why anyone would ever want to skin a cat. All right, 205, waiting for that flibbity-dippity of a call, 415-550-0511. Latoya, the sheriff of truth, getting in. And, yep, I'm speechless. No, I'm not speechless. I'm never speechless. I've been, I'm telling you guys, it's been, it's been a roller coaster recently with, Am I going to get a loan? Am I not? What's all the paperwork? There's time limits and just stuff. What? Ah, ah. The business of life is really difficult for me. If I had my druthers, I would just get to perform all the time. Like, take me from stage to stage and let me tell jokes like a monkey. I'll tap dance. I'll do the splits. I'll do whatever. Whatever you want. But all of this business of life is difficult. So anybody else who deals with that, I feel ya. Bills, rent, taxes, oof, oof, feeding myself. <laughs> it's like, how do I, how am I taking care of myself? Listen to some call me Tim. It's definitely not because I'm reading the Bible anymore. There is a new Bible show here at the station and they are 
fantastic and zealotrous and and I admire that very much and I hope that I can continue being a zealot for Mutiny Radio but really that's just a front for myself like I am Mutiny Radio and a long time ago people were like you shouldn't do that you should be yourself and I was like nah I'd rather like hide behind the front so I guess I'm Mutiny Radio <laughs> call Latoya call me now because this is just um I'll use this later for when I um, masturbate. I have really, really uh, vivid imagination, and I masturbate podcasts. It's a joke I do. I do some crowd work, and I ask the audience, hey, what what podcast do you think I listen to when I masturbate? And inevitably, someone will be like, murder things. And I'll call them a psychopath, and I'll be like, no, no, only during my period. Uh, and then I get caught red-handed. Oh. Oh, there she is. All right. There she can you is. Hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Yeah, you're good. All right. You're coming through. All right. Sorry. I I apologize for my tardiness. That's I fine. was on the phone with Snap, you know, trying to get them benefits. Right. <laughs> no, it's a it was, I was just talking about that. The business of life. <laughs> I'm making because uh, I have health insurance now, so I'm making appointments. I'm trying to get some of my food. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and good evening or good afternoon to you, Pam. Yeah, and thanks. Yeah. Here I we hope are. I have some good news today. Good news? Is you have good news? No, I was hoping that you. Oh, I mean, news. not really. Like, I've a. I mean, it's still. It's. I've applied for more things. I've uploaded all of the. I've uploaded all of the documents. I've done what they've asked me to do. Uh, it has not happened yet. I don't know if I've made another. I don't know what's going on. So it's just a waiting game again, as it always sort of is. Um, but I'm always reaching out. I've got my fingers in lots of different pots. So uh, and not just the marijuana ones, like the actual. I mean, I'm trying to stir different pots. And I'm, you know, I'm applying still. I'm still waiting for some grants, which I haven't got. I'm still applying for more grants. I mean, things still, I mean, I still have, I was able to pay myself for, and I was able to pay the rent for this month for the station. So that's great. And, um, I, you know, keep on hippity hop, just trying my best. And uh, I don't have any teaching for the summer, so that's... Um, but they want to start back up in the fall, so that's great. But that means I have Friday mornings oh, off good. to bake. I mean, yeah, they were really – Nomad is an amazing school, and um, they're interested in having me teach with them, um, continue. I mean, this was my second year with them, so they're willing to go into a third, and they want to – I mean, it's it's really fantastic. So I've, I've done it in person. I've done it via Zoom. I've done it here at the station. I've done it at their school. I've done it in parks, and they're really just—it's—it's it's a really alternative junior high school, and it's great. And they then they like, excuse me, they like what I'm doing, and they like what I teach, and they like me. So I'm like fucking sweet. And I, I, yeah, and I like kids, and I—I I mean, we did an exquisite corpse last week as a group, and it was super fun. Like five of them at once, and it's a poetic form where you write two lines, but then you 
fold the paper so that the person you pass it to can only see one of the two lines and then they write a response or whatever they want and then they fold so that the next person can only see the last line and you keep passing it around until you run out of paper really and they became these uh, just weird cool poems because I mean it's just language and and you're relating and it's it was really neat and it all worked out and it was it was I typed them all up for them and I, I hope I get some some copies because they were some good poems anyway I like poetry a lot I know it's dumb but whatever I think it's important to be able to express yourself through the through written word <laughs> can you talk up just a little yeah bit? yeah 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 I this phone okay, program the phone is the worst I know if I pump you up anymore on my thing it squeaks so that's as far as I can that's as far as I can go for you. I always want to go in and out, in and out. Well, it's a regular phone line. I mean, you'd think it would be normal. My phone today just decided it was plugged in while it was zooming, and it was like, nope, you don't, I don't exist anymore, and it just turned off. I was like, okay. Technology. Did it die? Well, no, it just, it just ran out of batteries even though it was plugged in, and now it's plugged in, but it's charging really slowly, and I'm like, oh, well. It's fine. Well, at least it's not completely dead, right? No, everything's fine. And I almost left it at home today, so it's a mitzvah that I even remembered it and went back to get it. A mitzvah for myself. <laughs> so you were saying you need good news because our thing's falling apart? Well, I'm always needing good news. I mean, I guess, like, um, let's see, what's going on in the world? Oh. So yesterday marked the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa uh, terrorist massacre of 1921, uh, which is kind of like I want to do some investigating. And the reason why, so this is kind of really near and dear to me. Um, If those who don't know about Tulsa, uh, an angry right mob, uh, basically burned down Black Wall Street um, uh, and 300 people with some bodies they never found were buried. 300 people were uh, murdered. Um, and so, you know, there was no one ever arrested. No one ever tried. Like, it just these people went on a murder escape. But what's where, why I said it, it's close to home because my grandfather was born on a reservation in Oklahoma in 1911. So he's from Muskogee, Oklahoma. Now, I don't know when he left the reservation, but all I can say is I want to assume he left around the time, in 1921, that would have made him 11 years old. Sure. Excuse me, nine years old, actually. Um, So I know he was very young when he left, the reservation, but I don't know if if there was anything, the reason why he left had to do with anything that happened in Tulsa. Right, a correlative, uh, co- a correlation between that they had to leave that state. Yeah. The reason why I, I, I say this, because something traumatic, obviously living on a reservation is trauma itself, but then uh, I know they were pushed off like around World War One. So that would be around 1916, 17. So, mm. but uh, 1921, like 
So him probably being a young boy, I don't know if they lived around that area or they knew of family members of mine or family that were caught up into that because he never talked about it. I always noticed when I brought, when I mentioned his childhood, he changed the conversation very quickly. Um, he was he didn't even tell his kids about his own childhood really. So it's always been a mystery. And the reason why this, you know, again, I'm just putting things together, putting puzzles together since he did grow up around that era and in that state. Because mind you, there weren't too many. I mean. If you lived in Tulsa or anywhere near Tulsa around that time, you know, they weren't just driving black people and indigenous people, you know, out and just in Tulsa. They were just trying to make it a white ethno state period. So that's why I, I'm, you know, it just, I really wish I could have found out honestly the 100% truth because there's this mystery in our family that, you know, he's been deceased for about 15 years, but it just, you know, I always question, like, did he know something or did he know someone? Or was he and my great-grandmother, did they, was this the reason why they had to flee? There's all these unknown questions. It would be so. a really interesting topic for a documentary movie. I mean, I, I would be, I mean, it's, it's scintillating because a lot of people don't even know about the Black Wall Street or the successful businesses and the whole community that was dismantled. <laughs> um, right. But that happening, and then simultaneously with the personal connection with your family, I think that's really um, an awesome, hey, Netflix, what are you doing? Why aren't you making these kind of cool stories? Because that's, I mean, it's a piece of history that, who doesn't want that, like, unearthed? That's amazing. It's hard to believe that it hasn't already been um, illuminated again. Or maybe people just hate history. I don't know. no one knows how to you know, read anymore, thing, or I don't know. Well, you know, the thing is, just like my grandmother um, was the one that was the journal writer and note taker. And so, like, I could find, you know, I knew about my grandmother's uh, upbringing, what have you, you know. And I'm glad as a kid, I was always nosy <laughs> to ask my elders and be nosy in their business, you know. It's a shame that, you know, I had, you know, elders that were you know, who were born, like, in the 19-teens and 20s, you know, they're no longer here with us. Well, I know in my family they're deceased, but I'm just glad I got the opportunity to ask some of them questions that I can no longer ask them um, now. But this is the one that is just, like, burning into, like, I even asked my uh, aunts and uncles and my mom you know, and they go, it's still a mystery to them. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some notes or something. Like, I have my grandfather's birth certificate, too, uh, that proves that he was, you know, born out of a reservation. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's one of these things, like, it's a mystery that you don't know, like, uh-oh. It's a mystery to the point of, you know, was he there, wasn't he there, was there relatives that were, you know, harmed or that were a part of, you know, all these unanswered questions. That white supremacy destroyed. So, yeah. Yeah, I would, I mean, having your, having a personal connection to history and stuff that's so cool and to know, like, it's like a secret 
and what happened. And now that once somebody dies, then the truth can actually come out because maybe they were trying to hide something. Or isn't that weird yeah. though? Because like people hide the strangest things, and then we look back and we're like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's like yeah. Downton Abbey. The, you know, the, oh, Mary had sex with a person before marriage. She, her entire money, her whole life is ruined. And now it's like, you don't eat ass. So it's it's crazy that, like, you know, and it was only 100 years ago that things were super secretive. And well, not interracial even marriages, all kinds of things that people were keeping secret. There's so many things so secretive in my family. For example, a couple of weeks ago, I just found out, so... Again, this is what my grandparents and their business, and not everyone knew everyone, all of my grandfather's business affairs, not even my grandmother. So we just found out recently that there is like a lease off of like $94,000 in some investment that he made years ago that my aunt just found. Oh. <laughs> and so there's all these things. Like I thought that my grandfather having a penis pump was the weirdest thing. That was weird, actually, when we all found that. That was really weird. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, now there's, like, we thought that we were all done with, you know, once the matriarch had passed, everyone, everyone had got, uh, you know, something with the estate or what have you. But now there's more things coming out, especially with this money. So mm. now there's, like, well, what other investments did my grandparents have and that no one else knew. Nobody knew. So now we have this surprise money that wow. popped up uh, in the family's estate. So all the kids get it. I'm not one of the kids. I'm a grandkid. So that means my mom would possibly get, well, will most likely get some along with her siblings. Wow. But it's just all these, like, secrets are still popping up. And especially, I know in the black family, we are notorious for having secrets. Dear Lord. <laughs> well, it's, but... That I mean, it makes sense because, I mean, how can you, an openness and a sharing, it'd be hard to exist when you were enslaved, like historically, if, if, if somebody, if you don't have the volition of your own body and what you want to do in space, obviously your voice doesn't get to be heard either. Of course there's secrets. Of course. Um, it just seems like contextual, but... Anyway, I'm glad that your family, like, found some money. That's cool. That's like treasure hunting. Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, there's a bunch of now, a bunch of curiosities that are, like, not just going in my mind, but others uh, in my family. But going back to the Tulsa thing, this is, like, one of the biggest ones. So, But it was nice to see, you know, I didn't even know about the Tulsa riots until my adulthood. So, obviously, you know... We know that all correct history is not uh, covered in yeah. our American school system or in universities, you know. So, I mean, I knew about the St. Louis uh, race riots of 1919 and the Chicago riots, or the Chicago race riots in Atlanta, but for some reason, also because of the fact that you had such black excellence, uh, you had a power dynamic of, uh, of African-Americans who still were, some were ex-former slaves, you know, who did businesses, who had economically reached a great point at that time to all be burned 
and and to the ground and now buried well was buried for years and now you know it seems like now it's getting its but but I want reparations for that too I know reparations I still and that's the thing now too with you know we learned a valuable lesson through this COVID pandemic thing where I mean not me but everyone else was sort of taken care of and not everybody and I don't want to be like I'm the only one but it, it did get really hard for some people nothing changed the people that live in the tenderloin on the streets nothing really seemed to change everything seems pretty much the same still slamming heroin still there uh not dead but you know still living on the streets rough (laughs) terrible surviving still alive good same 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 you know some people had to work really really hard to keep at the same level um a lot of people you know everything has changed but the thing is that like did it ever nobody didn't we it was okay it was like what so why couldn't we do this 20 years ago or and with the the ubi but reparations the money is there it's just the money continues consolidating in the hands of the few and in the hands of corporations and our government seems to like that but there's we still have to admit for past wrongs. Like, I don't understand why we live in a society where everyone just forgets that you fucked up. Like, you have to admit what you did wrong and and compensate and take responsibility. Like, that's how people grow as adults or whatever. And if we continue to ignore this mark on our history, this, like, stain and go well that wasn't us doesn't matter anymore but that but then there's no we're always going to have a rift it, it will never be healed until you know it's like race relations in like the white people right now or the people in charge i don't want to just say white people but the, the powers that be the the large scale the people with the money why aren't they building the bridge and providing the tools and the manpower to say, hey, look, we fucked up. But we're still in this idea of like, well, the, the, with, the, with the movement, with the uh, civil rights movement, the, the black and brown people are the ones that have to provide the labor and the materials and build the bridge. And it's like, but they're the wronged group. It's, it's, I mean, does my metaphor make sense? It's like, yeah. We should be building a bridge to say, hey, we fucked up. And yet it's like, well, y'all built your bridge. Good luck. And and resources and all that stuff. Anyways, I just, I think reparations are, it's time. And it would be, I think it's one of the only things that could potentially heal uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and with the, police brutality i i really think that reparations is the key to to finally once and for all have the government acknowledge and say wow that was a dick move (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) so that's the problem you know the problem is they know that economics gives people power and white supremacy white supremacists don't want to give up power that's why we're having you know this white lash now 
And so with that being said, you know, they will try to change the narrative to where they're, tr- they're already trying to spin it uh, with the whole reparations thing. Because now they're trying to say, well, we'll see. So why don't, how come indigenous Americans don't get reparations? I'm like, first of all, indigenous Americans are trying to get reparations and their land. So Good. I support that, that too. So now they're, Huh? I 100% support that, too. There's a lot of people yeah. we should give reparations to. <laughs> right. I'm seeing the narrative. I'm seeing this is something that white supremacists are really good at, flipping the narrative to make those victims into uh, being, being the culprit. Meaning, like, some of the things that I've read so far, like, most of the comments when we've talked about reparations, you know, I hear some of our Latin brothers and sisters, well, how come we're not getting any reparations, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, because maybe you need to take it up with your people and maybe look inside to what possible, what uh, in the Latin community, who are, who, what are you trying to get for your people? Especially if you're Mexican-American, mm-hmm. you know, if anything, those would be the people of indigenous and uh, Mexican-American uh, uh, ancestry that should be looking toward reparations. Hell, we're, we're standing on Mexico we're right Californios, now, correct? The Californios, yeah. the, the Mexicans that chose to stay even when, right. and then they got so screwed out of their like, land bit by bit anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and what? so white supremacists like your Tucker Carlson's and your uh, uh, Sean Hannity's trying to flip the narrative of saying, well, look at these white people trying to get free money of reparations but have you received yours? Why, they're trying to take money away from you, blah, blah, blah. Where now we have a little bit of infighting where I've, I've read certain comments from my indigenous brothers and sisters and some of my Latin brothers and sisters about getting mad at us for asking for something that we deserve. Where it's just like, do you guys not see that white supremacy is trying to be your puppet master? Right. They're trying to, they're trying, they're pulling the strings for a reason. So you can hate the fact that we're getting something that we're, we're owed. You're owed something, too, but that is not our job. You, our job is to fight as a, as a community of, of black people, and especially here in the States. It's our job as a collective to handle our business and say to the government and our political leaders, this is what we want. So that means... You, my indigenous brother and sister, whatever tribe, you deserve the same thing. So you need to correlate with your tribe and your community and go up to Congress, which I know that's already happening. With certain tribes are actually trying to get land back. So that is actually going on right now. I don't know what's going on in the Latin community. If they, what they're trying to do, I hear certain people who've worked with um, uh, Dolores Morsa where they've talked about kind of reparations for Mexican-Americans. And I'm interested but, in, this, in this idea of, of land because originally when the slaves were freed, they were promised 40 acres mm-hmm. and a mule. How many mm-hmm. actually got that and where was So, I mean, land and land is the most like, it's so crazy because it didn't belong to anybody, but then everybody, all of a sudden it belongs to this person. It makes me crazy how they decide what land belongs to who and who owns it and when they decided, well, this was my land and this was my and you, I, but it's, and then the Native Americans said, well, no one owns the land, but then we took their land. Just how the transfer of land as property, as commodity, 
is another economic piece that could be, I mean, it, and should be negotiated. Maybe it should be negotiated with I, every American. I certainly wouldn't mind. You know, I don't need a lot of land. Maybe like and anything. Well, but everyone should be negotiating with what was. We're supposed to be able to ones. We're supposed to be in control of our own government. It's supposed to be a democracy. So, therefore, we should, and and different groups can come. To, I mean. And I do think different people deserve it. And it's not my turn to judge because also I'm not going to take anyone else's str- – I mean, I'll take their struggle on and say I empathize with your struggle. And I I hope to somehow support that struggle. But I don't want to be like this is my struggle because it's – I mean, there's empathy and then there's – what is the sig- signal? I call it the oppression Olympics. Oh, the oppression Olympics, <laughs> Right. Everyone has a struggle right now, even though the white wingers, they're, they're, they're using, they're saying that uh, getting the vaccine is almost like segregation like Jim Crow. <laughs> so last week, it was the Holocaust. This week, <laughs> they're feeling like segregated like Jim Crow. Last week was Holocaust. <laughs> this week. <laughs> <sighs> it's like we're pulling... <laughs> We're 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 pull out of what out of our past. We're pulling, and I don't know. We we have to the future. The future is now. Ugh. And I still I've lost the plot. So this is crazy. I've been very floaty lately, and like not knowing. I've been having a lot of trouble, sort of attaching to reality, and not in like a I'm going crazy, but a little bit. A little bit. I've been kind of. It's hard for me to really understand what's going on as I'm living my life because it sort of feels like a movie, but it's not. I had the most vivid moment of clarity where I felt so alive, and it was yesterday, and it was because I ate too many habaneros, too much habanero sauce on Monday, and I was sitting on the toilet and I was having a, just a fire lava poop. And everything came into focus for just one second. I was like, the whole world was so clear and real. And I was like, oh my God, I have a grip on reality right now. And it was just so weird for that to like happen. And it was so fleeting. And that was weird too. That I'm like, oh man, maybe I smoked too much pot. I don't know. But it was, (laughs) it was, it was a moment, it was a moment of flickering realness of like, brilliance of the now and I was in it and I was like wow I am alive and and then I start to lose the plot again you know like crazy things happen and I don't know how to interact with people and I don't know my place in the world among people and like I mean it's it's hard just figuring out like and I'm trying it's to do really business hard. a life. And I got kind of accused a little bit of sexual harassment, which is like kind of yeah, hard for me to like take. Last week, right? Two weeks ago? Well, it's kind of, there's still some lingering things. And there have been, people have been trying to bring my attention. And I'm like, but that's the thing is, I would say that I used to be sexually harassing potentially, but I stopped that behavior. And therefore, 
but now, now that that person isn't getting special treatment and getting booked on every show, they're going like, this is harassment. And I'm like, no, see, before it was harassment, but you were getting all the good things from the harassment, and I just stopped the harassment, and now you're mad and sad because uh, I'm no longer manipulating the universe. And it's like... Yeah, I want to go back I want to go back to this sexual harassment thing because we touched on this... This was like two, three weeks ago, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that so baffles my mind. Now, listen, podcasters out there, podla- uh, podcast land, I'm not saying that women can't sexually harass men. That is not what I'm saying at all. But I will say this. I really... and. Maybe, okay, so I'm probably I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here, but it's really, really weird to me that a man would really accuse a woman of sexual harassment. When I know, like, were you grabbing their genitals or... No, I haven't touched this person. I haven't, I haven't touched this person in months only because they put up that boundary and said, and I was like, well, I'm not going to touch you. And they were like, well, I'm not going to touch. So it was like, all right, so that's a boundary. And there was like, and then there, they, they put up a lot of boundaries and I respected their boundaries. Absolutely. But, but I was booking them on every show because I just wanted to be around them. And then I realized that behavior and how that was kind of sick. I was like, wow, that's not, you know, people spend time with people they want to spend time with. They don't. You can't manipulate them into spending time with you. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I, I still run two open mics. That person can come to an open mic. That's fine. I'm just not – they can they can choose to – and I leave tip sets open. So people that come and support the show, they can get the tip set. Um, but I decided that I'm not going – I'm no longer going to try to manipulate their behavior and I thought I was making a healthy move. I was like, look at me getting my shit together, right? And now that's when all the hubbub happens. Like, but it's, but that's the thing. It's reverse. It's like, it was like, it was like, don't, don't you want me to be sexually harassing you? Cause when I was doing it and I wasn't, I was just booking them on shows. But when I was manipulating their time to be around them, they didn't have a problem with it until I stopped that negative behavior. And now they're like, oh, wait a minute, maybe it wasn't so bad, or whatever, you know, or but now, but now I'm the bad guy, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to augment an unhealthy behavior that no longer benefits the other person, I, I'm, because it's, I'm sort of looking for personal benefit, really, and I don't think that that's harassment in any way, that's just me running my business and seeking happiness. No? Am I crazy? Like, I don't know. No, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the word boundaries because, you know, I think here's the thing, especially as we as women who get sexually harassed on a constant every single day we step outside. Yeah. There's somebody out there lurking or gargling or gargling or whispering or saying Yeah, absolutely. All the time. I know I look cute when I get proposition for sex. I'm sorry. I said, um, I know I look cute when I get proposition for sex in the TL, like on my walk here. I'm like, oh, I do have a cute outfit on today. No, and that's the kind of stuff I just constantly forgive. And then when I get, like, people are calling me out for it, and I'm like, are you kidding me? 
this is what this is what I was about to say too. I think we as women, especially when we don't have any power, you know, we are we know how it feels to be harassed like that. So we know when. I think the majority of us know when we're when we're going over the line or crossing a boundary, and with you being, you know, an a business owner, you know the fact of the matter of a rep- reputation, especially since you've been I mean, you what had beat me for it, it'll be almost a decade, yeah. you know. So it, it's just funny to me that all of a sudden you you're the new Clarence Thomas. <laughs> right I'm not putting pubic hairs anywhere although they are long enough that I could put one on someone's coke or, and I think that would be kind of be a, like a gray pube I your long dog silver yeah I've got I got a couple of gray pubes down there and I was also called out for they said gosh you know you make everything so personal it's just business and I'm like nah you're crazy you, that's what you say when you don't want to admit that you know it's personal like Comedy in San Francisco is not professional. It, I mean, even when it is, it still clicks. It's still, it's the personal is political, is art, is, I mean, that's the thing. We're all, we're not just performers, we're artists and we're writing our own scripts and we have our own things to say. And some of us are trying to have I mean, a message. It's, it's, it's fully it personal. personal. It's fully personal. And mm-hmm. when people go, Oh, why can't you be more professional? I'm like, because it's not a professional thing. It's art. Art is personal. Like trying to okay, make... Okay, so wait a minute. Mm. Sorry. I oh. will say it is professional when you have to be at a show at a certain time. you got to know your audience. And if you were not able to use profanity, you know, that's when you keep it professional. Yeah. But other as an art form, as an art form, art comedy just like poetry or any kind of writing or music is personal when you create it when you write it so i don't and i'm totally totally agreeing with you with how you say that people here in fm they're not professional comedians in contrast to what you're doing well and anyone any anyone who calls himself a, a comedian and say that that they don't take it personal they don't know anything about this craft well, also, professional means you make your money at it, right? Would we agree that being being a professional comedian means that you make your money at comedy? And so I'm the only I'm one of the only professional comedians in San Francisco. I mean, I'm not to toot my own horn, yeah. but sometimes I feel like I have to. I make a hundred percent of my money through Mutiny Radio. I make a hundred percent of my income now through Mutiny Radio. I don't nanny. I don't have another job. I don't do anything. I just do mutiny. I teach through mutiny. I do comedy through mutiny. I run shows through mutiny. And I make a hundred, I am alive. It is my job. It is my work. It is personal. It is also professional. It is me, but I'm the only, they're not professional. You know, and I'll have to say that to the, if they attack me again, but it'll be like, you want to talk about professional? I make 100% of my living through comedy. I'm a professional comedian, and everyone else can suck a dick. Seriously, I'm a professional comedian. And I forget sometimes, I forget sometimes that I I, I am. Like, this is... (laughs) You are. And here's the thing. That's something that, you know, I I am going to toot your horn because that is something that I, uh, you know, 
I wanted to do that at one at one point in time, but you were actually doing it. The fact of the matter is just like if you weren't professional, you wouldn't be opening for House Sparks <laughs> or uh, or um, I almost said Doug Stanhope. Not no, him. it's the other guy Doug with Benson. Doug Benson. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, I'm surprised they're not sucking at your teeth. Some of the your, some of the people, some of your rivals right now aren't sucking at your teeth right now trying to get clout from you. I think because this is also a way of people getting uh, clout, the hate. Yeah. So now the fact that you have been able to recently, during 2021, within a month's time, You've opened for House Sparks and Doug Benson. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah, and I'm running <laughs> five weekly shows. Show. I'm running. I'm running like I'm booking and running five weekly shows. They're not selling as yeah, so, good as the other ones. Yeah, and I'm gonna do a festival yeah. again. Like I'm gonna keep hippity hopping along. Thank you for recognizing the things I'm doing. Um, and it's, people it's are just, just haters. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you got to be careful. And I told you this a long time ago, uh, like maybe about four or five years ago, some, sometimes the people that are around you that seem nice, those are the ones that don't trust. Hold on. One second. i got to go to a quiet place. Yeah, they're just doing recon those to are, take me down. <laughs> <laughs> those are the people sometimes that I don't because I've noticed there's always a new swarm of bees yeah. coming into your honeypot. And it's like, all of a sudden, where all these bees come from? And then all they, they swim away from the honeypot once they get what they got from you. And then they're gone. So now it's just like, I've, I've noticed, I'm just like, just be cautious with some of these people, you know. Yeah. Because you being a nice person and giving people opportunities means that they could take advantage or also create this stupid narrative about you being a Clarence Thomas. Or hard to uh, work with. I, I hate the, hard, people keep saying I'm hard to work with. I'm like, I'm not hard to work with. Like, I'm really easy to work with. I always show up on time. I always know my lines. I, I'm, I can host. I can be in a show. I can, you know, I'm not so great at promotion. Are men that say that? Um, you know, to be honest, it's been a... It's more men than women, but the the people who have been vocal about me, one of them is a woman, and uh, a couple are men. Okay. So. Right. Because there are, you know, obviously we've talked about this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please finish. I, oh, I no, no, I'm fine. I'm done. That. I'm done. Just... No, because I, you, we, are, we know what happens. Because I, let's, I mentioned that you don't have power, but you do have power. And that power is the fact that you are the owner of Meet Me. But when I say power, I'm thinking of the sleazy, like, uh, the sleazy kind of, um, uh, Weinstein power. I know. I hate being compared to him too. My bathtub is not that big. (laughs) That's actually a good joke. Thank you. I think a lot about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, what they're going to crucify you next on is that you, you're, you're insulting or you're offensive. That's what's going to happen next. So when I'll admit that I'm a hundred percent offensive, I feel like I'm sure nobody wants my views on abortion or the Bible or men or menopause. Like I, I know, sh- shut that old lady up. Pussy, lady, <sighs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, thank you for stroking my labia. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep hippity hopping along <laughs> and getting it done and working as hard as I can, you know? And either people appreciate it or they don't. It doesn't matter. I'm still, I have to, and I don't want to hang my hat too hard on it, on the peg, but I make 100% of my money from comedy. During one of the biggest, during a pandemic, during like Thank a global you. pandemic, I'm sitting here staying alive, being hustle. an artist and doing my art. And uh, so. It's, you're a true hustler. It. I am and a true hustler. You know, that's something that you had to do during this time. And with that hustling came great rewards. Yeah. With opening for these people. And with that, you're playing telephone where it opens, you know, you just got yourself a whole different demographic once you open for these two big uh, comedians because now they're going to be looking at you like, well, wait a minute, who is this up-and-comer? So somebody is watching you for the good, that is. <laughs> I hope it's and not so, God. No, I'm kidding. It is for the good. No, for when you start God, to get good, people good, good, yeah. throwing, these, throwing these terms, the haters, yeah. when the haters come out, you know you're onto something good. Yeah, and it's it's a, thank you for saying that. It's the other thing is I've I've had so much stage time. There's I can't help but have gotten better as a comedian. Like I've gotten so much better, and I feel like I I feel it. I feel the difference, and um, I feel like I'm ready for bigger stages and other things and bookings at you know. Cobbs and Punchline when it opens and all these other people's shows and if they don't book me that's fine too and it, it's a bummer because they're missing out because I'm getting better like <laughs> so that's it's good. fine whether whether I can whether I can be on their stage and be great or whether I could be on one of my own stages and be great it doesn't matter you know and I'm gonna keep doing my best I'm, every performance I always try as hard as I can to make the audience really want to be there and have a really good time and i just you, you gotta know watch up that's it you gotta watch out for the callers from mcs too oh right the joke <laughs> thieves i'm not you know i'm not too worried because my my stuff is pretty specific to me um but yeah i mean that makes sense too well closing words what do you got um Check out Pam's Comedy. Oh, if you nice. are here in the Bay Area, go check out uh, Asinto. I can't have to for a check. But also, too, it's Juneteenth along with Pride. Oh, my gosh. You know I know. Pride. Yeah. So I'm, I'm suggesting people read up on the original reason why we have pride and look up why we have Juneteenth or what Juneteenth is because a lot of people don't know what that is and just learn and listen and be patient with people and be nice fucking be yeah. nice well and um, this this month is gay pride month so I told um, Peter Struckmeyer my favorite um, super gay comedian and I was like, you get a guestie on every show I have. Whenever you show up, I'll just give you time because it's June. And I'm like, you should be visible all month. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> Take your month, girl. 
No, I, I love him, and I, I want to help him out and give him opportunity, and he's also very funny, and he has really great energy. So I realized that, too, is that I sort of championed this one comedian who I guess didn't want to be championed by me, and that's fine. So I pulled the... I pulled the champion card, but I can champion Peter for a month. And How can you not want to be championed? No, I just don't want to. Like, I mean, I was giving that one comic a set on every single show I was leaving a space. So this month, I'm leaving a spot on every single show for Peter, just in case he shows up. So it basically means that instead of like helping one comic get really good really fast, I can help another comic. I can, you know, give him like a residency or whatever, you know, where they, they get a lot of shows in a month. And then, you know, in the month of July, I'll pick a different person and I'll be like, whatever show yeah. you want to be on, you can be on any of my shows. And then, yeah. well, I just went to, Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. <laughs> no, you're great. <laughs> no, I just want you to keep doing you. And I, I really think that what you just said a few moments ago about, you know, you getting better and I, I have to agree because um, quarantine gave us, gave us this time to sit with ourselves, think. You obviously were thinking and writing and being a little bit more creative than myself. But, you know, this. I'm glad you had this time to become badass. <laughs> and, you know, and the thing is, like I said, I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you. You know, you're, I mean, dude, you're going to have some crowd chasing. That's what I'm saying. You better be careful. You're going to have some people be like, she hardly wants to see me. Or, oh, my God. Well, and she, I'm, an open, with her. I'm an open book, and I'll tell anybody anything that I've done. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I think that I have a pretty good reputation as being an honest person, so... I don't. Pam I'm not racist. too worried about she it. Says she says black I know. Jokes. I've people have called me racist before and homophobic. It's not. I mean, this ain't my first rodeo. I say fucked up things, but it, my heart, like, I'm not a bigoted person, and I don't. I really am not trying to. I'm just trying to be the best person I can be every day. That's all I'm trying to do. And and when I do make mistakes, I try to admit them as quickly as possible. And this one yes, particular mistake took me a long time to recognize. And when I finally recognized it and I was like, holy shit, you can't be stalking someone if you show up there first. And then it was like, I'm reverse stalking this person and it's creepy and it's bad and I'm going to stop it. And then they got mad at me because <laughs> I stopped it because it was a good thing. Pam, what? Who I think it is, is of it? course it is. Oh. Of course. Well, we knew that I know. It just took me, mm -hmm. it just took me like a full year. It's just so funny because this was all supposed to be over last June at this time and it all got drug out and through the stuff and it's just been like just torturous for me. And I you know it's self-torturous and I get it and it's all, I made it all up because I'm a crazy woman. But like, I didn't trust that motherfucker when I first met him. Yeah, so well, <laughs> well, everyone I'm likes it when you book them. That's how things work. But now, to be that's the thing, too, is like, I really am just trying to book people that I think are funny. I really am. And also, 
things are personal and I do try to book my friends and by that I mean people that support Mutiny Radio and show up here and and hang out with me that's kind of who I book so that's kind of what a comedy club does (laughs) right well and I'm an open book about that I'm like if you hang out and if if you feel uncomfortable hanging out with me then don't hang out with me it's fine there's a lot of people who I don't make them nervous and I really don't feel like I'm coming on to anybody sexually I'm not and if I am, someone needs to point it out to me and be like, hey, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, boundaries. So, like, don't touch your Pam, hand. But I don't touch anybody's hands I've anymore. Known you, I've known you the longest out of all my best friends here. I met you in 2013, so that's, like, eight years. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that amount of time seeing you in different realms and, you know, of life, You've never been that kind of person. Thank you. So that's why I think that other person's full of shit. <laughs> and he's young, and he got a lot of living to do. Because if he thinks about, if he thinks of you in that way, he's ooh, the, the real world's gonna eat him up when he get out of his mama's house. Was, no, mm. well, he lives on his own, I guess now. But it doesn't. It's fine. I'm fine. It just it was so funny because he came in to talk to me yesterday and he was like, you need to. And he started with you need to. And I was just like, oh, Ooh. man. I was like, don't tell me how to feel. Like, and then at the end of it, I was like, oh, in your vast time on this earth, you have so much knowledge. Please continue telling me you what need, to do, you know, how to run my need, business and how to feel. <laughs> Pam, you need you need to find your inner key, your inner Keisha. That's yeah. not a Karen. Mm. Your inner Keisha will, is the one that's be like, huh? <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah. Say one more time. Okay, go fuck yourself and get the fuck <laughs> out of my building. The end. What's Keisha talking? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to grow some balls and some strength at some point, but I feel it my You're best. I'm trying. My my power lies in silence, really. The more I can, my ignoring of people is the is sometimes sometimes it's the only place I have power is by walking away, or by just not I acknowledging it, and and I hate that that's the way it is, but I can't. I'm just not a big enough person all the time to talk things through and. Even if I try to talk them through, and they, I know they're not going to see my side, so what's the point? Like to just twist myself up again? I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm actually the kind of I agree with you. I'm the kind of person because I don't like confrontation, but um, I, because I usually like when I'm angry, I walk in silence and I pretend like that you're dead to me. Yeah. So that does hurt people even more. Yeah. But if you want my side to be broken. You can get me there. <laughs> yeah. You can get me there. And it won't be because that it, I will snowball into things and I'll talk about shit that happened last year or two years ago that I've been holding in. Right. And I will roll that in into a snowball and throw it in your face. <laughs> into a shit ball. What it's going to be is it's a pile of shit in the middle and then you put the snow on the outside. So you think it's a snowball, but really it's a shit ball. Ha-ha! <laughs> you thought it was just a little snowball fight. You just thought we were having a little pillow fight with some feathers floating around. No, no, baby. They're poo in that bag. Smack you in the face. I'm all metaphors today. I'm all metaphors. Well, 
thank you again. A lovely therapy session for the day. Talk some things through. I feel healthier. I feel better. I honestly do. Like in my head, I have a new clarity that the decisions I've made in the past two weeks have been difficult and it's been humbling and it's, and I've tried my best to take responsibility for, for my part, only my part, because that's all I can do. And I'm trying to be a grown up, you know? And, uh, but like also, but also like keep my, I don't have a problem sleeping at night. You know what I mean? Like I'm honest with people. I try to keep everything. I I don't have a problem sleeping. If someone else does, that's their business. But (laughs) that part right there makes a difference. What you just said, I don't have problems sleeping at night. That is something that is, thank you. Like if that, if, if you had a couple more sentences, I'd be a haiku. (laughs) (laughs) But no, absolutely. And you know, the thing is like, you've been through this rodeo, you know, it's the fact of, you know, the impact of this pandemic has humbled some of us that are humane, but also to some people haven't grown up and understand and had that time to reflect uh, as a human being of like, you need to be cautious to what you say to people. I'm not talking about you, um, but how, you know, the benefits that a person has helped you with to flip the script and all of a sudden now they're Harvey Weinstein to you, you know, <laughs> yeah. it goes back to when we, we were skydiving me too a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah. I've always side-eyed this person. Well, it's the cancel culture and it's just my turn to be canceled for a second. And what yeah, else? Honey, they try, they, that ain't canceled. They, they clout canceling. <laughs> <laughs> well, people, it, it doesn't even matter because people either come to my, I either have an audience at my shows or I don't. I'm working as hard as I can. All the comics are kind of the same in my book. Like shows, shows, shows. It's really who can get the audience there. And I was for a while, but I understand that other people do that much better than I do. And that's okay. And I'll learn. I'm well, trying. I do have an email list get now. The it's, I don't, I, I just. get the writing in so I can perform again. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Come on out here. You've, well, you've got your, you've got your, uh, you're safe. You've got your vax. You're good. Yeah. I'm safe. But I have to write. I can't, I can't do 2018 and 2019 material. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, spend some time, spend some time at the, I say, I think that your family documentary, I wish I had, I don't know how much it costs to make a documentary, but man, if I had 20 grand to sink into and had a, I don't know how to do camera stuff, but I would be super interested to go to do the spelunking on your grandfather's story and the reservation and where it was and the information and all the articles, newspaper things, whatever you can get first per talking to this person. Who do you know this person at the grocery store at the thing? And then like, trying to backtrack it and having like a really, I, I just think it's scintillating history. So you just gave me an idea. So the money that we just found out, my family found out about <gasps> before it gets spread out toward everyone. <sighs> Maybe with that money, I can actually solve the mystery and have that documentary. Wow. Even my grandmother's story is very, very fascinating as well. So, I mean, that's something that, because, you know, my aunts and uncles, my mom, is, she'll be 63 this month. 
So, and the youngest, my Aunt Jo, who I love dearly, she's the youngest, and she's 58. Wow. So my aunts and uncles are in their 80s and 70s, wow. so I want to do something for them because they're not going to be here much longer. Right. And so, Get the hurts. living history now, the stories, yes. straight from the horse's mouth. Because once that's gone, it's, you know, it's ephemeral. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good idea. I got chills. Yay. Yay. Well, Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, you're wonderful, and I will talk to you this next week. Doing it well. Thank doing you it for my, themselves. You're amazing, and thank you for all of your help. You're amazing, too. And all of your compliments. Yay! Let's write the Sheriff of Truth. I love you. Bye, my dear. Bye. There it is. That's called technical difficulties. No, that was great. That was, um, that was Latoya. Every time I talk to her, I feel so much better about life, the universe, and everything. I'm so much calmed. I'm greatly calmed by her presence. All right, everybody. So tonight, Asiento, 7.30. Get your reservations now or just come. Just come. Hang out. Be in the audience. Also tomorrow, Bar at Dolores, same thing, 29th and Dolores. Here, Friday, Mutiny Radio. Or you can listen live, 6 o'clock, open mic contest. And Saturday, Atlas Cafe, 20th in Alabama. What a fun show. What a great time. All right. So Always Free is Rachel Pinson's show on Tuesdays. She's going to be out of town for a while. So Finch was taking over. And yesterday he made an amazing podcast. And then the stream went down. So we're going to be manually uploading that. But I'm going to play an hour of it for the rest of Some Call Me Tim. So enjoy Always Free. Uh, They're a great podcast uh, about Rainbow Family stuff. And if you don't know what it is, you'll learn about it. Thanks for listening to MutinyRadio.fm and .sf. I've been your host, Pam Benjamin. This has been Some Call Me Tim.
Howdy, folks. This is Finch bringing you another episode of Always Free Radio, a show all about rainbow gatherings and the people that participate in them. This show airs weekly on Tuesdays every week on Mutiny Radio, the pirate radio station coming at you from the Mission District in San Francisco, California. You can tune into this show by turning on mutinyradio.fm any Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. San Francisco time, which is the Pacific time zone. You can also download this show after it airs on any week by going to wherever you get your podcasts and searching for Always Free, all one word, spelled A-L-L-W-A-Y-S-F-R-E-E. Again, Always Free as one word, and you can download this podcast and all the previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The next few weeks of this show will be pre-recorded before they air because your regular host, Roach, and your semi-regular co-host, myself, will be out in the world again, exploring that rainbow magic for ourselves. Hopefully, at some point, we will be able to air some Sounds from the Rainbow 2021 for you all. Until then, enjoy this special pre-recorded podcast. During the first four weeks of June, we will also be airing a 21-year-old public radio segment in four parts from the 2000 Montana Gathering. We will also, as always, be sharing rainbow music and stories and news as it becomes available. What is happening with the gathering this year? Good question. Here are a couple responses from Karen Zerk and Karen Shamalama Mama, respectively. You can often find both of these Karens at the Information and Rumor Control booth. From Karen Zerk, this update is from May 23rd, 2021, so about a week ago. This year is shaping up to be multiple smaller gatherings and or campouts over the July 4th Prayer for World Peace. Some of these gatherings will have an emphasis on COVID-19 safety protocols, others perhaps not so much. Many people may choose not to gather. The idea is not to have one large gathering, but to spread points of light around the land. The pandemic is still ongoing, and many of us take this very seriously. The idea is that that of the prism, where the light comes in and refracts out to many points around the USA. A lot of this is off the radar and very confusing. There are frequent Zoom webinars slash conference calls where the plans are being discussed and people are being asked to plug into different efforts. If you want the webinar slash call information, please reach out to me at kzerk at earthlink.net and I'll send you the information. That's kzerk, spelled K-Z-I-R-K, at earthlink.net. That's E-A-R-T-H. L-I-N-K dot net. The Zoom is open 24-7, but I know there are specific times when more people are dialed in. You can join from any old phone by calling the access numbers, but toll slash long distance charges apply if you do not have unlimited long distance on your phone. I know of prayers for peace on July 4th being focalized in the Northeast, Northwest, and Southwest. There may be more. And the next update from Karen Shamalama Mama. So last year, a pandemic swept the planet. A bunch of folks from Rainbow started talking online and started having conference calls by telephone every other evening for weeks and months, listening to each other's concerns and feelings. And it seemed like the general sense of most of the people on those calls was that it was inappropriate to travel across country and gather thousands of people into one place. 
These people were on board with an idea they dubbed Home from Home, and many of them felt that the Idaho gathering should be postponed until it was safer for the public health to gather together. There were, of course, other people who felt that people were overreacting, that not gathering was a submission to government authorities, and really the threat was not as bad as many were making it out to be. Many individuals and kitchen crews and camps chose to ohm from home July 2020, and about 400 to 600 people came to Idaho and went through the usual process of having a gathering, including Spring Council, Gathering, and Vision Council, the choosing of the next year's region. They chose New Mexico or Arizona as the region they wanted to gather in July 2021. Meanwhile, many who owned from home felt that those who went to gather in Idaho were being irresponsible, and many of those who went to Idaho felt that those at home had no right to persuade others to do the same. There was a lot of contention and animosity between folks. It was a very challenging time for family. This summer, folks started talking together again about what they wanted to do in July 2021. Many of those who owned from home were ready to gather again, but some wanted to be in smaller groups, closer to home, and chose to create smaller, health-conscious gatherings over the 4th in their own bioregions. These were dubbed prism gatherings, the metaphor being that when light shines through a prism, it creates many colors of the rainbow, a refraction of our light, not a division. Some Rainbow family really dislike this idea of prism gatherings. Many of those people who gathered in Idaho in 2020 are the ones focalizing the Southwest gathering in Arizona or New Mexico. Some folks going to the New Mexico slash Arizona gathering are saying that their gathering is the official annual gathering, the real gathering. Others going to New Mexico, Arizona are in full support of there being multiple small gatherings around the United States of America. It seems to me that most folks in general have grown tired of being at odds with each other and feel that prism gatherings are a great compromise, a way forward, allowing everyone to follow their heart this summer. It looks like there will be three rainbow gatherings over the 4th of July this summer and multiple rainbow family campouts, potlucks, and picnics all over the country. New Mexico or Arizona rainbow gathering, July 1st through 7th, 2021. Idaho rainbow gathering. July 1st through 7th, 2021. Pennsylvania Prism Rainbow Gathering, June 20th to July 4th, 2021. Please note that Pennsylvania's dates are a little different from usual July starting dates. This week's episode is dedicated with love to the Cumberland Rainbow Gathering, which I believe is happening this week, it being June 1st when this episode airs. Uh, we're recording it on Sunday, May 30th, and as of today, there was a last-minute announcement that Cumberland was canceled because of lack of energy at seed camp, and then a hasty retraction of that statement with happy, excited, enthusiastic people heading to site and requesting more backup and good people to help do a good seed camp. So now, it being a few days later, I'm going to go and assume that all those things went perfectly and the Cumberland Gathering is happening beautifully. And if anybody wants to know where it is or when, I recommend that you call your family in Kentucky and get the straight poop, because over here in California, I'm not sure of the exact details. So, because of the gathering happening in Kentucky right now, I was going to do a Cumberland-style uh, episode. Um, we don't have any... Uh, Cumberland specific content, but I do have 
Butterfly Bill's story of the Kentucky Gathering, which was one half of a split gathering in 1993, and I'll be airing a recording of myself reading that story to y'all. And we're also going to be playing some rainbow music from the similar region as Kentucky. We've got a couple of songs from the West Virginia Gathering and a couple of songs from the Tennessee Gathering. Uh, so all of that coming up. Enjoy the show. I want you to lead me through the speaking of language so delicate and gentle, so peaceful and clear, so adorning and resolute, that the syllables escape from my conscience in the haste of fleeting, tortured prisoners. Our synchronous tones of subtle clarity will be as theirs, emerging into the sharp light of morning in Petrichor. With these pronunciations, you and I shall liberate undisturbed elations, arousing vibrations of freedom. And before these emanating frequencies climax, there is no room for hesitation, and our words will shock, and our phrases will stupefy, and our voices will neutralize <laughs> the awkward paces of life in uncertainty. At this stalling juncture whilst your serene stare severs my episode of insecure glancing into reality a new time and rhyme our uttering shall puncture the stuttering shall rupture the moment as far and as wide as it hangs chapter 12 the hungry drum gathering kentucky 1993 I left for Kentucky in the poorest monetary circumstances that I have ever been in before traveling to any gathering. I calculated that I had barely enough gas money to get there and back, and then maybe about $30 more. I was too afraid of running out before I got back to Lawrence to spend any money on a private food stash, but I did stop at a laundromat after I had got deep into Kentucky and wash all of the clothes I had in the van so that I would have a maximum supply of clean ones at the gathering. I ate hot dogs at gas station convenience stores, and when the sun was setting on the first day and I was in southern Illinois, I left the interstate and found a large cornfield that had an out-of-the-way clearing in it where I parked and slept. I got out of there when I saw the first blue glow in the east. The next day, I ultimately went down I-75 toward the southeast corner of Kentucky until about 40 miles north of the Tennessee border. Then I entered the Daniel Boone National Forest to the west and drove maybe 20 more miles. The nearest towns to the site were London and Corbin. I arrived at the site at about 3 in the afternoon after I drove down a long, straight stretch of dirt road that was out in a large grassy field and came to a T-intersection with another road that crossed it. There was a makeshift tent made of tarps to the right side of the road just before it and a larger one on the side beyond it. A brother came up to me and said welcome home, then directed me to the left, where there was more flat, sunny grassland and vehicles mostly lined up in Rose parking lot style. There was no shade anywhere near, and it was unthinkable to spend any time in my van during the day when the sun was high. The crossbar road on the T was the main trail that led in a straight line into the gathering site, the beginnings of which were near enough to see from the parking lot about a quarter of a mile away. As I was walking in for the first time, I saw a bulletin board made of plywood nailed to two logs set into the ground, and there were several people stopped in front of it reading it. 
Stapled to it was a sheet of notebook paper with a ballpoint pen writing on it and announced that there had been a consensus made at Spring Council that the gathering site be a place in Alabama and that the announcement for Kentucky had been sent out prematurely by some people who had got impatient with Spring Council taking so long to make a decision and had decided to take the matter into their own hands. But some people had already left for Kentucky with no knowledge of this, as I had, and they had already constructed kitchens and other infrastructure and didn't want to move. The last sentence said, as a result, it looks like there are now two gatherings with good people going to each. This pissed me off when I first saw it. I had been coming with the anticipation of a full-blown national gathering with all of its music and art augmented by the numbers, but it looked like it was only going to be at best a large regional. There were directions to the other gathering, which was about 300 miles away, but I knew I didn't have the resources to go that extra distance, so I had no choice but to stay at this one. There were many people who tried to show up at both and only stayed here for a few days and left just as my experience with them was starting to get good. And Robbie and Felipe and some of the others I was looking forward to seeing again went to Alabama and stayed. So this gathering has been come to be called by most rainbows the split gathering. This has not happened again. All national gatherings since then have been all together on one site. But I gave this gathering another name for myself. Not having much in the way of private stash, I was totally dependent at this gathering on the kitchen and the generosity of individuals for the food I got. There were also not as many different kitchens as are usual at a national gathering, and many of the good ones, including Felipe's Kid Village, had gone to Alabama. So there were periods of feast, but longer ones of famine. As a result, though I certainly wasn't starving, there was a residual feeling of hunger in the background that persisted in everything I did. But one kitchen with a good reputation that did come to this gathering was Turtle Soup, the one that was near to my tent in Vermont that I heard such electric drumming coming from. And many of those drummers that I had heard there traveled with this kitchen and had come here. And they attracted lots of other good drummers, and they eagerly accepted my five-gallon drum into their midst. There was one particularly magic evening when I was with a bunch of people who could do five-fourths and seven-eighths time. This gathering was to be renowned for some outstanding drumming, and I was usually hungry. So for me, this was the Hungry Drum Gathering. After reading the sign that was by the side of the road, I continued on the way in. This was the 22nd of June, a week before the official starting day of the gathering. Only the welcome home camp around the road intersection had been developed to anything like a finished state. The rest of the gathering was still in seed camp stage. The road made a 90-degree turn to the left with a rounded corner, and beyond that there were trees shading the sides. It continued straight for another quarter of a mile, then the graded part of the road ended, and two tire tracks continued into some wooded hills. About halfway to the end of the graded section, there was a parting in the trees along the side, and I looked out over a circular valley with steep cliffs maybe 50 feet high on three sides. The distant side opened out to a stream beyond it and a grassy flood plain. Someone later told me this was once an open pit mine. It had now been overgrown for years with scattered groves of mostly deciduous trees and patches of bushes with tall grass covering the ground in between. 
I walked around on the valley floor and tried to imagine it filled with the noise of July 3rd in the evening. But as the gathering progressed, relatively few people went down into the valley. The initial climb down from the road to the flat floor below was a stretch that was short but ste steep and strenuous, and lots of people didn't want to make the effort. Most of the kitchens, including Turtle Soup, set up on the side of the road above, and Trading Circle extended for almost the length of it. I spent most of my time topside. The only sizable entity that set up down below on the far side was a kid village, and I remember being motivated to make the trek there only twice. They did have dinner circle down in a large grassy meadow that was a little bit farther than the center of the bowl, and that was sometimes the only time of the day I made the descent. But some of the kitchens on the road above were serving at the same time, and there were a few times that there was interesting music happening above, and I skipped dinner circle. There was a brother who spoke down there with a booming voice, one of the loudest I have ever seen from a human, and he introduced himself by saying that he had been asked by some others to address the circle precisely because of this ability that he was showing now. He said he had just come from the Alabama gathering and wanted to report the news from there. His exact words I don't remember, and my attention was more focused on his amazing exclamatory abilities, but they were approximately like these. There was some what folks call gray beards, the people who have been coming to gatherings for years, and there are others that we might call puppies, these new inexperienced folks that are glad to have the gray beards teach them the ways of the gathering. But now there are an increasing number of folks that have been coming to gatherings long enough that you wouldn't want to call them puppies anymore. They are now able to do things like set up kitchens and get shitters dug and do all the other things you need to do to make a gathering, all without the help of the graybeards. And some of these former puppies are feeling disrespected by the graybeards and don't see why they should have to obey them if they can all now do their own thing. So as a result, there are many here that aren't going to move, and the fact that this gathering will be split will be something everybody will have to accept. This brother's name was Water, singing on the rocks, and his appearance was certainly that of a gray beard, an actual gray beard with streaks of white and long hair to match. We all called him Water in conversation. There was another gray beard who looked a lot like him and who also spoke at Dinner Circle, preaching Rap 107 and placing special emphasis on Bury Your Shit. His name was Joseph Greenfeather. I saw him and talked with him many times away from the circle. He was intimately involved with setup and the logistics of the gathering, another person that I would at least have to call a focalizer if I couldn't say leader. He was the one whom I went to for news of what was going on, since the information booth at this gathering wasn't as continuously manned as usual. Sometimes I saw him walking on main trail in a dark green and blue kilt, a military beret with green feathers stuck on it, and a shirt with medals hanging from it, playing a Scottish bagpipe. I don't remember any long, day-long cloudy days at this gathering, and when there was any rain, it never lasted for more than a few hours before moving on. One afternoon, I was in turtle soup when a lot of people decided to take all their clothes off and take a natural shower, and an image persists to this day of a big chubby woman yelling, Woo! and laughing in a high voice when the rain suddenly turned into a brief downpour. Most of the time, the sky was clear and the sun shone down and warmed the air to above 90 degrees by mid-morning. I spent most of the daytime going naked. 
and this sometimes brought me reactions from other people which covered about the whole range of possible degrees of approval. Once when I was walking back to the parking lot and a man coming in with a fully loaded backpack grinned and said to his friend walking with him, This looks like a rainbow gathering. Another time I was talking with a brother in road dog garb, a blue jeans, no shirt, and a cowboy hat, and the subject of going without clothes on had arisen in the conversation among the few of us who were there. At one point he said to me, With a weenie like that, I'd cover it up. I gave him a giggling smirk and said that some other people had told me it was cute. There was another time I was standing in trading circle and I heard a click and saw down the road to see in the distance a young woman putting a camera back in her bag with a smile on her face. This was usually regarded as contrary to something that is almost every version of Rap 107, do not take photographs of people without asking for permission. Some things that people are afraid of are that a picture of your naked body might appear on someone's pornographic webpage, or that your employer might find out that you went to a place where there are hippies who run around naked and take drugs and not consider that appropriate for your profession, or that some detective or government agent might be able to track you down if you're in trouble with the law. But I just watched her put her camera away from afar and didn't even go up to her. I regarded this as a compliment that I didn't really have to fear. And another time, when I was walking back to the parking lot, I heard a woman's voice exclaiming in a nasal southern accent, Oh my God! I looked over to where the sound had come from and saw her leaning over the tailgate of a pickup truck, shaking her head. She was a local and probably visiting the gathering for the first time. I looked back as I continued walking and saw her leaning over to a woman she was with and pointing at me with a look on her face that indicated she was extremely approving. In the years since, I have replayed that, oh my God, many times in my head whenever I wanted to contemplate something that soothes my self-esteem. In the middle of the parking lot, going lengthwise and on the far side of the parking lot from the road, three long school buses and a few vans were parked in a circle. In the space in the middle there was a campfire, and on the radio antenna of one of the buses was a small pennant with the letters A Camp. I was parked a few rows of vehicles away, not near enough that I had to hear their voice noise in detail, but I occasionally heard whoops and hollers and voices raised in anger coming from their direction in the distance. This A-camp was not as large as the one in Vermont, but it was still obnoxious enough that I heard complaints about them from people speaking at dinner circle and from people I got into conversations with in kitchens. They were roaming the parking lot to spange, ask for spare change from, people who were going to and from their cars and sometimes being intimidating about it. Some large piles of aluminum cans were starting to accumulate, and this was still in the days when pop tabs separated from the cans completely when you opened them, and they were just being thrown on the ground along with their cigarette butts. One night, I returned to my van after spending the evening drumming, and I found a man asleep with his rump on the ground and his back leaned against the side door of my van. I jostled him awake and tried telling him that this was my van and I had to get the door, to which he responded in a slurred speech until he finally got up and staggered away. It was scary for a few minutes. Another morning, I was walking past the welcome home tent on the way in, and I heard coming from under the tarp a hoarse rasping voice that sounded like it was coming from the image I had built up over the years of a hardcore A-camper saying, I come here every year to be with my family. 
This is the only family I've got. And this family probably really was one of the few places where a man like him could find any kind of acceptance and companionship. On the morning of the 6th, I awoke and found that all the buses were gone and the area abandoned, but with the piles of cans and other debris still there, along with some abandoned plastic coolers, old clothes, and broken folding chairs, I asked a few people what had happened and finally found Greenfeather, who told me that he and several other people had all gone together to talk with them, and they had been told to stop all their disturbances or we were going to burn their, their buses and set them by the side of the road. The eight campers had apparently taken this threat seriously and laughed. On the 8th, for my contribution to clean up, I took upon myself the task of cleaning up A camp, and I wound up doing most of it single-handedly. I was able to get some trash bags from Welcome Home, and I rounded up the cans into a couple of dozens of them and got down on all fours and picked up all the pop tabs. Finally, there was one big pile of bags and furniture pieces which could easily be loaded by someone else onto a flatbed truck. The whole job took about five hours in the sunshine. About two and a half hours into it, a brother offered me a can of Coke from an ice cooler. After I was done with the job and I had told him I was, I asked if I could have another Coke, but he sternly reminded me that I had already had one. Just after you rounded the bend in the main road to enter the main gathering area, there was a kitchen with a large leaning tarp, a metal table, a wood pile, and a dishwashing station, all just behind a bliss fire pit. It had originally been set up by a man named Chico, and he called it the Welcome Home Kitchen, even though there was some name confusion with the other camp down the road. This place I wound up spending a lot of time in and getting into some memorable movies. 
Chico was still young, but starting toward middle age and slightly Mexican-looking with hippie-clad hippie-length black hair and a thin mustache, but his voice talked in a white-sounding southern accent. This was a brother whom I was going to see grow a great deal during coming gatherings, until Chico's kitchen was to become a respected name among gatherers. But this was his first time at trying to be a kitchen ogre, and there were many things he did at this gathering that I had difficulties with. I started taking it as a challenge to myself to see if I could succeed at finally getting on his good side. This kitchen had not been set up by a group of people who traveled together to gatherings year after year like most principal kitchens. This had been mostly Chico's individual creation, and he had to attract all of his workers from off the trail. He was always talking to people as they rounded the corner on main trail coming in, trying to talk them into working in his kitchen. He tried various ways of motivating you if you were standing in line or over at Bliss Pit Eating. Sometimes it would be, hey, I'd really appreciate it if some of you would. Sometimes it was, if you would like to do some work for the food that you are getting here. Sometimes he might so far go so far as, why don't some of you Bliss Ninnies, instead of sitting on your asses by the fire and asking people to dose you, if people did things wrong, he often told them with anger in his voice, and he could argue stubbornly with someone trying to tell him he himself was doing something wrong. And praise didn't come too often from him, but it did sometimes, and that kept me still trying to get find ways to work in peace with him. But lots of other people gave up on him, and he got some people to stay and work for him for a few days, but I didn't see anyone lasting until the end. But one afternoon, late in June, he did find someone who went on a binge and dug an enormous compost pit, more than six feet deep. Since his kitchen was at the entrance to the rest of the gathering, all people carrying any kind of supplies had to pass by him, and he was always asking them to drop, off at his, drop them off at his kitchen, even if they were on their way to some other kitchen or the main supply tent. This sometimes got him into some vocal conflicts with people from those other places the supplies were intended for. There were no springs on the site, nor any fast-running streams, so all the water for the gathering came in a big metal tank that was mounted on the chassis of a pickup truck that, fortunately for Chico, regularly parked at the bend in the road not far from his kitchen. He was most blatant about allowing only those he regarded as the members of his core crew access to goodies like sweets and meat, which he had no qualms about cooking, and other things that didn't come in large enough quantities to be served out to all comers. One day, a tall, husky, bearded guy came into the gathering with a big plastic trash bag full of dried, homegrown marijuana leaves. He also carried a box of sandwich baggies that he peeled out and filled with leaves to give out to people he chose as he went on his way. He stopped in front of the cutting table, filled a baggie with weed, and gave it to Chico, who was sitting on a log behind it. The first thing he did after getting it was pull out the belt on his pants and tuck it down in the waistband so that it almost sat on top of his balls, then tighten the belt again while saying, This is for the kitchen. I wanted to suggest that the brother wanted it to be passed out to all just as he was doing himself, but I suppressed the impulse. On the morning of the 4th of July, I managed to score some breakfast from him, so I stuck around and started to chop up some thick logs on the woodpile. The silence wasn't being observed this far away from Main Circle, and we were talking to each other. On the cutting table was a box with some cinnamon breakfast rolls that had come from a commercial bakery. 
I took one of them and started to eat it, and he came around, said a few expletives, and told me those were for the people who were working in the kitchen, and I lifted up the axe I was carrying and pointed to what I was doing over by the woodpile. I finally got a reluctant, oh, all right, from him, and I finished the roll and went back to work. Now I was determined to show him that I was not a bliss ninny, and I finished the woodpile and asked him if he had any more, to which he replied no. This movie had been going on for what felt like about two hours. I left the kitchen to go to Main Meadow for the silent meditation at what I thought was about ten o'clock, but when I got to the gap in the trees and the overlook, I saw people running around below with multicolored banners on poles, and I realized I had completely missed the meditation. But I rationalized that what I had just gone through in the kitchen might have had more to do with finding ways to peace than sitting down there. At this gathering, he was an example of a person I was to see many times in future gatherings. The pleading man, trying to start a kitchen and getting frustrated with trying to find people who would help him and letting the anger that comes with that frustration make him do things that alienate people even more and produce even more frustration. But I was to see Chico again at a gathering three years later with a much more successful kitchen and a growing confidence that inspired more of that feeling in others. One afternoon, a man was asking around for musicians to go along on a magic hat parade. This was where people walked the trails and went around to kitchens with a container, usually a five-gallon bucket, that people could put money into. This happened in addition to the carrying around at dinner circle. At least one other person accompanied the bucket bearer, and hopefully several musicians could be found to go along with it and make a parade, to attract attention and to reinforce the feeling that this truly was the magic hat and not some person fraudulently collecting for himself. We had already found a singing guitar player, and I had a little metal dumbbeck drum with a five-inch diameter head that I could attach to a web belt and play while walking, so we went around while he sang, Magic Hat, Magic Hat, oh, 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 Magic Hat, to a tune he was making up on the spot. Then another man joined us, and I got, I met for the first time a person I would be interacting with at many gatherings to come. He told me, his name was Vermin Supreme. He was wearing a pair of cut-off jeans, no shirt, and a denim vest that was covered with a multicolored variety of sew-on patches with embroidered lettering. On his head was an Afro hairdo wig dyed in rainbow colors and a red rubber clown nose. He was carrying a dead tree branch from which he had been hanging on a ball, a string, a ball about a foot and a half in diameter covered with little square mirrors and reflected the sunlight and put little polka dots of light all over everything around it. Behold the disco ball, he said. Gaze upon its magnificence. Bring your hands near to it and soak up its remarkable healing power. You folks, right here is all you need to attain enlightenment, perfect health, and all the sex you want. He showed it to people and continued to talk in a smooth and rapid carnival barker delivery, inviting people to come up and worship it after putting something in the magic hat. The next day, he came to Trading Circle and performed some more shticks. Would anybody like to join me in this great game? It's called the Barbie Toss. Then he threw a plastic ring on the ground and walked away a few paces and threw a nude Barbie doll toward it and picked it up and did it again a few times, throwing Barbie so that she tumbled head over heels and wound up with her legs spread in some sometimes undignified positions. Another thing he did was take out a Kermit the Frog puppet and move its mouth while he sang... 
It's not easy being dead. Nobody seemed to get his joke, and I didn't either, and he finally said with a mild tone of disappointment, I guess nobody here knows what I am referring to. Then another brother got up from where he was singing, sitting and said that he knew what it was and proceeded to sing all the words to the Sesame Street song, It Isn't Easy Being Green, while Vermin manipulated the puppet. It was the first time I had heard the song, and it was a magic performance that Vermin said to me later it almost brought tears to his eyes. He told us that he had had his name legally changed to Vermin Supreme. When not at gatherings, he liked to show up at political campaign events and put on surprise street theater performances. During every presidential election, he ran a bogus campaign, complete with bumper stickers with slogans like, A friendly fascist, a tyrant you can trust, let him run your life, he knows what's best for you. The rationale behind his name, as he told me, All politicians are in fact vermin. I am the vermin supreme. Therefore, I am the most qualified candidate in this race. There was another performance at this gathering that I regarded as comic, but it wasn't intended to be by the performers. As I had seen before in Vermont, at least at once every morning, a single-engine high-wing plane like a small Cessna would fly over the gathering and make several large circles over the populated parts of the gathering site. This usually happened somewhere around 10 in the morning. The sound of the engine would approach and recede, and it would continue for the greater part of an hour. At other times, I would see a helicopter making rounds of the site, and also of the forest beyond it. Some people told me that the aircraft were looking for marijuana fields. There were allegedly a number of growers in the area, and there was concern expressed by some folks at Dinner Circle that some rainbow gatherers might happen upon a field and do some harvesting. Another person told me that he had talked with some friends of his who were growers, and they had told him they were ready to accept it as fate or karma if anything like that happened to them. Then one afternoon, an olive drab-colored helicopter came down and landed in the meadow, south of the parking lot, a few hundred yards from the road. I was standing on the road looking, and a brother from the parking crew came up and announced to all who were standing there that they had heard on the radio that the helicopter had to make an emergency landing and to stay here on the road and not walk over to it. I saw some people in khaki clothes walking around in the distance. Then, on the road leading in, there came toward us a column of maybe 20 military vehicles, trucks, jeeps, and armored personnel carriers, with people sitting in and on top of them clad in olive drab fatigues, many carrying rifles. They were all decked out for combat, and there were some apprehensive looks on their faces as they came up to the intersection and turned onto the road that ran by the parking lot and passed me and an increasing number of gatherers that were coming from the parking lot. But I just watched the whole procession like it was a parade, and so did everyone around me. No rainbow shouted anything provocative. Instead, we were looking at each other with expressions of both bewilderment and amusement. The column passed all of us, and some of the vehicles continued on the road in, into the hills beyond, and a little later I saw some of the vehicles reappear over by the helicopter and park around it. It took off again after a few hours. Vision Council started on the 7th in a small clearing in the trees that had enough tree branches extending over it that it was mostly shady. There was concern expressed by many of the people uh, there about what should be done if the Vision Council in Alabama decided on something different from what this council decided. 
but there were also some people who carried on like an independent decision could be made here. Several of them wanted to go to Wisconsin. There were some others wanted to go back to the Rocky Mountain West. I sat there from the opening at noon until maybe five hours later. Again, there was the long repetitious speeches and off-subject heart songs and other annoyance that had made these New England councils so tedious. After dinner circle, I dropped in again to see if there had been any progress, and there didn't seem like any. But at this council, they weren't going to continue it until after dark, as I had seen them do at previous national gatherings. There had been a consensus made somewhere that the new practice would be to end the day's discussion with an ohm when it was so dark that we could no longer see each other's eyes. The next morning and midday was the cleaning of the Aegean stable in A camp that I have already described, and I finally moseyed over to the council late in the afternoon. Amid the side-trackings, it seemed like two factions had emerged, those wanting to go along with whatever Alabama decided, and those wanting to go to Wisconsin. Some of the Wisconsinites were getting adamant, and it looked like they might be fixing to do a Zeus-like holdout. There was one moment of levity where a brother had asked to address the circle out of order because he was getting ready to leave the gathering. Then he gave a pitch for Wisconsin, but finally said he wanted to offer up a prayer to the Great Spirit that he tell us the place that was truly the best for the family at this time. As soon as he had said this, I was able to let a loud fart. The following morning I helped with the filling in of the giant compost pit at Chico's kitchen and spent some time on the trader's row. I didn't think it was really going to have much tangible effect, but I tacked to the bulletin board at Info a printout of something I had written about what I thought of Rainbow Council process in the computer, uh, in the computer lab back in Lawrence. It wasn't very complimentary. I had held back from posting it up until then. Then I went to Vision Council determined that I was going to deliberately disrupt it. As I approached the council, it was coincidentally just as I was hearing a woman saying, I want to go to Wisconsin, almost in a temper tantrum voice. I walked out in the middle of the circle and said in a loud and angry voice, I want to say that I think this council process is a complete and absolute farce. It is government by attrition. Some people started yelling at me, respect the feather, and the woman holding it waved it at me to emphasize that she was holding it. I tried to grab it out of her hand, and I was going to throw it on the ground and stomp on it if I had succeeded, but she drew it back under her other arm to shield it, and I stopped pursuing it any further. I was now satisfied that I had made a statement with my bit of guerrilla theater, and I turned around and stomped out of the circle. As I was walking out onto the road from there, I thought to myself that this was the cue to leave the gathering. There was nothing left to delay me. I had not set up a stash tent because my van was so near so all my stuff was already in it. It was now simply a matter of changing into Babylon clothes, getting behind the wheel, and starting up the engine. I had enough money and gas to get back to Lawrence, and I did it non-stop. It was after dark when I crossed the Kansas border south of Kansas City and turned onto State Highway 10, the route to Lawrence where I didn't have to pay a toll. I was slowed down by a thunderstorm that had winds of 70 miles per hour in spots and left a lot of broken tree limbs on the ground in Lawrence. I found out that the last week of August that the Kentucky Council finally consented to go along with the decision of the Alabama Council, which was for Wyoming. 
on a list of favorite gatherings arranged in order from most to least, this one might be nearer to the bottom than the top. But now I knew that the value of the gathering was in the lessons it could teach and the satisfactions you get from confronting problems and enduring. Even this one left me with some beautiful memories that I still keep running over and over again in my mind, memories that just get sweeter with each passing year. There's no such thing as a bad rainbow gathering, just some are better than others. I would definitely be coming back for national gatherings, but as events were to unfold, I would be skipping a year before my next one. Do you believe in magic? Yeah! That sparkling unknown a handle, which you know means nothing to the power that you cradle. There are no rules to the faithful. The instantaneous realization of joy awakens that magician throughout your castle. To bypass the gnome with your infinite tone, to reach for heaven and remember your home. I like the way this song goes. This song defines that I believe in me, the confidence of my energy, of my creative ability is my greatest tribute to God and eternity. Do you believe in me? What do you believe let you see? Tickle your beliefs constantly, higher truths will come to thee. To tickle your reality, poke the place that is where your beliefs be. It is that simple, but I do not mean easy, although it could very much be. The future is in your hands. Ha! Believe the magic is in you. Look, the jewel of heaven on earth is time to leave all of the pain behind. It's time to shine like a piece of coal. The dull of old, because the dumb and divine, but I like a piece of coal. It other than takes thousands of years to spur her, her, her heart cult in time. I see you shine. Ha! My precious. Uh, uh, oh, diamond of mine. So let's hear about your trip to the gathering. What else did you do to prepare? Mike's book was very helpful, but one thing that was a little scary is he said a lot of time there are bears at gatherings because a lot of the campsites are very remote. Mm -hmm. And I took that to heart. So you'll hear about that in a few minutes. But I went to a sporting goods store and got some bear mace. They make bear mace. Yeah, they do. It's specifically for bears. I also wanted to prepare in terms of blending in to hippie culture. And because I'd never really been involved in hippie culture, I talked with a girlfriend, Betsy, who had been involved. I learned a lot about how the clothing reflects the history of the movement. I looked through all my clothes, and these that was the only hippie top I could come up with. What do you think? It's a good hippie top. <laughs> it is. And the reason it's good is because it looks very ethnic and peasant-like. And part of the hippie thing was hearkening back to sort of a simpler agrarian time where people had a very strong sense of culture and made their own clothes. Things that feel like they would be from an earlier village time are good. It's kind of a turquoise color. It's a bright color and then it's got red and white kind of zigzaggy smocking. Yeah, and it's mostly cotton. It's mostly cotton, a little spandex. Well, the spandex is a a (laughs) modern extra, but that's okay. But it looks like cotton. Um, Yeah, and the color, because Hippie clothing was often very colorful, that, and that was meant to be in contrast to dra- drab modern society where everyone is sort of colorless and looks alike and goes to work and lives life without much of a sense of joy. So color is good. So yes, actually, this little turquoise smocked blouse <laughs> would be a good choice. <laughs> I did good. So maybe we could find something to go with that. Yeah, we could yeah. look for a skirt that would go with that. Okay. Now, what do you think of this little sundress? Hippie or not hippie? Um, 
it could be because the it's that's the other thing is that the hippie part of being a hippie was also enjoying having a body it was going back to sort of being more sensual and just and so it's small so it shows <laughs> off <laughs> it's got little straps and it's a little short dress which would be good for um, summer as long as it was pretty warm and it's pretty it's bright colors with flowers on it and it's just a simple style so actually that would work as well oh good I'm excited what do you think of these beads because hippies wear beads the, the beads are great they are oh they're great what do you yeah like, what do you like about them um, that they are instead of it being a really sort of sophisticated necklace with expensive gems that would have been cut and done by a jeweler this is something that could have been put together by some lady in a village just stringing whatever beads that that they had um, so colorful but simple not overly fancy or expensive so yes that's a very good choice and it actually goes very nicely with that dress yeah, and they're, oh, I was thinking these were little hearts. They're not heart-shaped, but I got these in India. It's a strand of sort of purple stones, and then there's another strand of pink stones. It's good to bring up India because the hippie movement, people spent a lot of time in India because they were very into um, Hinduism and Eastern religions. And so the way of living sort of simply and spiritually and mystically out on the street was very much something they brought back from India. So anything Indian is good. There could be swimming, so I'm thinking of taking a, a little bikini bathing suit, yes or no? Yeah, that's fine. I, I mean, in the real hippie days, you would have gone swimming naked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're probably going to be doing that. <laughs> is that a challenge? <laughs> um, I'm not like making it one. Double dog dare you? <laughs> I'm just commenting on the fact that I remember a lot of naked swimming because we thought bathing suits were stupid. <laughs> I don't know if you can smell it, but I have a little of this on. It's called, it's an uh, essential oil. It's called flirtation. And it's got patchouli in it. <laughs> that was the hippie fragrance for women. Yeah, no, I don't know why patchouli was so popular, but everyone I knew wore it all the time. So that's good. Okay. <laughs> so there's one more stop I have before I head up to the Rainbow Gathering. I'm in a recreational equipment store because I'd like to get some of that uh, pepper spray or mace. When I read Mike Nyman's book, he said that bears are a frequent occurrence at the Rainbow Gathering. And I thought, well, it might be good to have some of this. So I'm going to see if I can find somebody here in the store to help me. My name's Steele Lavelle. I, I have worked here for 12 years, and I'm a product and service expert. I read this book about the Rainbow Gathering. He said that bear sightings are kind of frequent. Do you think I'll run into any bears? I doubt it. Rats. Well, <laughs> I still think I want to get some pepper spray just in case. Is there anything else I could use it on besides bears? I mean, can you use it on... What else would be up there that I might be able to use it on? Uh, possibly mountain lion, but it, it's specifically made for bear. Uh, you're not going to want to use it on people or anything like that because it's just so so powerful. So just be ready with it for a bear. But like I said, I doubt if you're going to even see a bear with that many people up there. The bear will be scared away. So where is it? Let's go find it. Okay. We actually have to keep it behind the counter because uh, in one of the stores a 
customer sprayed some and the whole store had to be evacuated. It's that strong. Oh my gosh. So it's called counter assault. It's a grizzly top pepper spray. I guess the main ingredient is capsation. Capsation, I think, is um, chili pepper or something, mm -hmm. isn't it? I believe it is. Yes, it is. Uh, may cause irreversible eye damage if sprayed in the eye at close range. Now, that's a pretty big uh, can right there. How do I carry that around? Uh, we sell an accessory holster. You can put it in a holster and carry it with you. Oh, my gosh. Where are those? Let me go find those. Hang on a minute. <laughs> this actually looks kind of dangerous. It's got like a pin that you pull. Maybe sort of looks like a hand grenade on the top. Oh, this is good news. Glow-in-the-dark safety wedge. Well, that's excellent. So I don't accidentally pull it when I'm rummaging for my microphone or something. This product has a range of up to 30 feet. The canister empties in approximately 7.2 seconds. Oh my god, we're talking about one bear application. Hopefully I won't run into two bears. I wonder how much it costs. $44.95. Oh my gosh, 